So I'm going to tell you about a little experience I had not so long ago. Um, several years ago, when my youngest son, who is a senior in high school now, was in middle school, I received a note home asking me to come in for a conference with this German teacher. I discussed it with my son, and he said that the teacher told him I needed to come and that it was for a good report. <laughs> I put the pressure on him. I immediately started putting pressure on him to fess up because I knew if a teacher asked for a conference, it was not a good thing. And I said to him, something is up, and you need to tell me what it is. And he continually said, Mom, I really don't know what I could have done or didn't do that would make her want you to come in for a conference. I just don't know, but please go. So I went to this conference at a 5.15 on a Thursday afternoon, not a busy time in my life. Um, and the teacher told me when I got there, I sat down with the German teacher and she said to me, she told me what a nice young man my son was and that he made good grades and that he was respectful to her and that he was kind to his classmates. And I'm like, okay. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for her to tell me why she has brought me in for this conference. And so the, the silence was a bit uncomfortable. And so I finally said, well, I mean, I really do appreciate you telling me these things, but these are the expectations we have for him. This is the bar that we have set for him. And she, she looked at me a little oddly and said, well, I really don't have anything else to talk to you about. We, you see, this is a praise conference. I was, I was like, it's a what? <laughs> she said, it's a praise conference. I was a little taken aback at that. So I left and made lots of jokes at my home about a praise conference. And then the next year, I received another conference request for my sweet eighth grade son at the time. And I went in, and this was a panel of teachers, all seven of his teachers in that room with me. And I sat down, and the first thing that was said, we just really like your son. Okay. <laughs> you know, that one of the teachers even said, I, I, I go through this and I listen to all these qualities that my son has that are reported to me on a report card on a regular basis. And I'm thinking, nothing extraordinary is going on here. What's happening? And I thought, well, I need to redeem this time. So I said to the, um, to the teacher, to the math teacher, I said, you know, he's having trouble with Dreambox, which is a math, math program on his computer. He can't get it to come up every day. And I want him to learn to advocate to, for himself. So he's been instructed to talk to you. Has he talked to you about this? And she said, oh, yeah, we fixed that, but I don't even care. I'm gonna give him 100 on Dreambox the rest of the year because he's so nice. <laughs> this was in November. I, I, and I did say the only comment that I made in the conference was, Please teach him the math. I was just overwhelmed with why we were having this praise conference. I was skeptical to the purposes of a praise conference. Um, shouldn't praise be reserved for some outstanding accomplishment, some expectation that no one thought would be met? So I just tucked those conferences away in my mind and only brought them out as a funny story to tell, kind of like right now. But I, as I began to study Psalms this summer, uh, and in the spring, these praise conferences kept coming back to my mind. 
And I became convicted that the Lord wanted to teach me something through those praise conferences of years ago. I began to ask myself, do I reserve my praise for God? Do I have a standard at which I think it has to be above before I'm going to praise him? I became a Christian when I was seven years old. That was 50 years ago. It'll be 51 years next week in case you want to know that. But that's 50 years ago. So is what God did for me when I was seven years old still receiving the praise from me that it should? Or have I just put that as something that it's been so long it's been expected? So I had to start asking those questions. Am I taking these things for granted? And so as I looked to these psalms, I began to remember, based on the Holy Spirit instructing me, that every single thing that God does or that God has done is worthy of praise at all times. So I want you to ask yourself some questions as we're learning about these psalms today. What are your habits of praise? Is it a Sunday morning activity that you just automatically check off because you went to church and worshiped every Sunday? Or do you have an attitude of praise? So let's look at our Psalms for this week. Both Psalms 103 and 111 open with a call to praise. Psalm 103:1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 111:1, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. We don't know who the author of Psalm 111 is. So we simply refer to him as the psalmist. Both the psalmist in 111 and David in Psalm 103 are expressing a desire to worship. Bless is a word that is interchangeable with praise or worship. So I'm going to show you some other parallels in these two psalms as we move forward. But for right now, I want us to focus on Psalm 103 and David's words. David is expressing a genuine, a formal call to genuine worship. He is acknowledging by using the words, O my soul, and all that is within me, that worship involves every faculty he has, his whole self, his passions, his memory, his experiences. Everything about him is to engage in blessing the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Israelites were given the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in Matthew 27, as well as in Mark and Luke, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he answered in verse 37 of Matthew 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command. It is never changed. That has been the great command forever. We are to praise, worship. Blessing the Lord is an expression of our love for him, and David calls for us at the beginning and the end of Psalm 103 to that expression with the deepest and every part of our beings. David goes on to bless his holy name. David is signifying with the words holy name who God is, his nature, his attributes, who he actually is. Each week in your questions, we look at our scripture and try to see what we learn about God's attributes. His attributes all stem from his holiness. That is the greatest attribute of God and from his holy name. 
In Psalm 103, David continues to bless the Lord with all his soul and reminds us not to forget his benefits. And that's where I want us to park today. I want us to park on his benefits. Back when the teaching leaders were meeting to discuss teaching psalms and we were learning about the different genres of psalms, we were talking about praise psalms. And Kim opened her Bible to Psalm 103 and said, for example, this is a praise psalm. Because we as teaching leaders picked which psalms to teach. And she said, this is a praise psalm. And I had not been assigned a genre yet or a week to teach. And she read the sentence about to remember God and all of his benefits. And that struck me at that moment. I don't guess that I've ever really thought about what God has done in terms of the word benefits. So I really wanted to get dig in deeper. And so when I was assigned to the genre of praise, I decided that I would use Psalm 103. And so I've been studying benefits and what that means. Um, David is expressing these benefits as reminders of reasons that our soul should bless the Lord. So as we examine some of these today, I want us to think in terms of our question each week. I want the question where we look at what the original reader's perspective was before the cross and the perspective that we see on our side of the cross. So we're going to look at these redemptive benefits that are listed in Psalms 103 and see the substance of praise in the following areas. We're going to see pardon, purification, pity, provider, and permanence. See how easy that's going to be to remember? We're going to praise the Lord through pardon, purification, pity, provider, and permanence. So first, let's look at what David says in verse 3. He begins that verse with these words about God, who forgives all of your iniquity. Prior to the cross, David's righteousness was counted to him because of his faith in God. His obedience, not perfect obedience, to God and his growing in godliness throughout his life. David had experienced God's forgiveness firsthand. He had sinned, had been found out, had confessed, and had suffered consequences. But God still looked on David as righteous. In 2 Samuel 22, 44 through 51, we hear David again praising the Lord. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. And let's skip to 50 and 51. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David knew the promise of God's forgiveness of iniquities because he had experienced it himself. And he experienced it on the side of the cross prior to Jesus. But as we look at this praise from David on this, on this side of the cross, we know that forgiveness of sin is the heart of the gospel. We know that the cost of our sin was the life of Jesus who took on God's full wrath in order that we might be blessed with the pardon of sin. We know that forgiveness makes it possible for us to enjoy all of God's blessings. We know that we could not experience the fullness of God without his forgiveness given to us through his son's work on the cross. This work of forgiveness is called justification. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. This life in Christ is the primary benefit of grace. I think we can all agree that this is worthy of praise with our whole soul and everything that is within us. Let's not take this gift of pardon for granted. Even on days when we can't think of anything to praise the Lord for, which would be our problem, not that the Lord's not doing anything, even on those days, we can praise him for this amazing work of forgiveness. Psalms 103.12 reminds us that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. So what does that look like? I guess in my mind, I had the east over here and the west over here, and so our sins were removed this far apart. But I listened to someone this week who said, no, there's more to it than that. So for a moment, let's look at this globe. And let's start walking east on the equator. We're walking east, and we're walking east, and we're walking east, and we're walking east. And the longer we walk in that same direction, we never meet west. If we're walking west, we walk west, and we're walking west, and we're walking west. And I may have done that backwards. But we're walking west, and we're walking west. But we never meet east. If the Holy Spirit had led David to say, God keeps our sins as far as the north is from the south, if we were traveling north, we hit a point at which it becomes south. So we are infinitely forgiven for our sins, and they are completely gone when, when God says from the east to the west, I don't know about you, but that just made me want to praise the Lord. There's no place that our sins are being held for us to have them brought back to us. Uh, to us. With God's forgiveness and Jesus' sacrifice, they are gone. In Jesus, we are fully pardoned. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks with my whole heart. The next redemptive benefit we see is also in verse 3, where we are told that God heals all of our diseases. This is a spiritual healing. We do live in a fallen world, and that means there will be disease to our bodies until we are given a new body in Christ. One of the things we learn when we, we learn about the structure of Psalms and that Janine talked about is that when the writer speaks in couplets, which is the case here, the second phrase is a rewording or a reiteration of the first phrase. So we can infer that David is referring to being healed from the disease of sin, because we've seen where God has forgiven us of our sin and where he heals our diseases. On David's side of the cross, that looked like being kept safe from his enemies. Remember Goliath? Remember David's mentor Saul? Remember the Philistines? During David's reign as king, every direction he turned, he saw enemies. Psalm 69 gives us a picture of the enemies David faced. And yet God in his mercy continued to grow David into a man after God's own heart. On our side of the cross, we know that sin is our greatest enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 admonishes us to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And yet, through Jesus, we are healed from that power of sin. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that with his wounds, we are healed. 
This purification from sin, which continues throughout our life, according to Romans 8, 1 and 2, makes me think of God's sanctification of us. Our justification was a one-time work of grace. Our sanctification is a continuing process until we meet Jesus face to face. This is no small or ordinary thing. Every day, every minute, every step of our lives, God is making his people, us, into the image of his son, and he is sanctifying us by healing us of the power of, from the power of sin. This is a reason for praise. Give thanks give, for giving thanks with our whole heart. So we've seen pardon for sin and we've seen purification from sin as benefits to acknowledge God's worthiness of our utmost praise. Another thing we see is God's pity for his children. David uses the word compassion in verse 13, but that does not start with a P, so I looked up a synonym, and it is pity. <laughs> and in verse 4, we are told that God crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Because of God's compassion, he takes pity on us and does not give us what we deserve. David deserved death because of his sins. And on his side of the cross, God spared him and even used him for David's good and God's glory. On our side of the cross, we know that God in his mercy has spared us from certain death through his wrath falling on Jesus rather than us. We are the recipients of God's mercy, and God uses that mercy in our lives for our good and his glory. Praise the Lord. Give thanks with your whole heart. God is our provider. Verse 5 tells us he satisfies us with good things. We see a parallel to God as our provider in 111.5 where we see that God provides food. On David's side of the cross and the perspective of this psalm from Exodus 34, we know that the food referred to by God is providing manna to his people as they were being rescued from the Egyptians and being led to the promised land. On our side of the cross, we know that Jesus is the bread of life. He is that food. John 6, 35, Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. God is our provider. He has provided the bread of life to satisfy us. Are we satisfied? He is our provider, and that is a wonderful reason to praise him. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to him with your whole heart. In both Psalms 103 and 111, we see reference to the permanence of God. 103.17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. God first loves us, and then we love him with the faithful obedience of, his life, of, of our lives. In verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. In chapter 111, verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. In verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. In verse 7, all of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. He has commanded his covenant forever. God does not change. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation 
or shadow due to change. And once we are his, once he has come and gotten us, no one and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. John 10, 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. This is our assurance as we go through life. We've seen justification, we've seen sanctification, and now we've seen assurance. Our permanent relationship with God is reason to praise him and to give thanks with our whole heart. These two psalms end the same way they started. 103 ends with a renewed call to bless the Lord, O my soul. And Psalm 111 reminds us that his praise endures forever. In all of our lives, I think a praise conference with God should be our habit. We certainly have much to praise him for with our whole being. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you today. Lord, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you for forgiveness of sins. We praise you that you are permanent, that you have never changed, that we can trust you, that we can rely on you. We praise you for the good things in our life. We praise you for the bad things in our life. We praise you for the things that we miss in our lives because we are too busy being selfish. Lord, I pray that you would develop in each of us an attitude of praise, an attitude of praise so that everything we do, say, and see is colored with praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.